This was the big opposition to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur in Bengal, the Smartas. And in Vrindavan, Kastika Goswamis. But the Smartas were, of course, disturbed even at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for ruining their religion by giving the mantras to all kinds of people and putting the name of Krishna out in the open in Kirtan and, and really, uh, destroying their religious monopoly. I mean, Brahmins are supposed to make a living by religious practices of caring for the deity and teaching, initiating, and so forth in a general sense. But Mahaprabhu, of course, gave a dynamic idea of spiritual life, Vaishnavism and Gaudiya Vaishnavism, for that matter, beyond Brahmanism. And people were inclined to it, attracted to it, taking advantage of it. And the Brahmins were losing some some business, and non-Brahmins were being initiated and becoming initiators, like Narottam Thakur and, uh, and others. So, following in the footsteps of Chaitanya Mahaprabhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur, he had a, a wide campaign, and he followed the inspiration of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, and regardless of birth, caste, creed, he was canvassing on behalf of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the smartest were in opposition to him. So in general, because of his, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, social reform that cast the Barnashram Dharma in the proper light as a social religious institution to be transcended. And if you have Adhikar for Bhakti, faith in Bhakti, by good association with a sadhu, then the jurisdiction, proportionately, the jurisdiction of Barnashram Dharma, the Dharma Shastra, is transcended and one comes under the jurisdiction of Bhakti Shastra. So they didn't like these things very much. So the smartest, they don't like Mahaprabhu. So his father was in such a, a lineage. And his mother's, from his mother's side, there was some appreciation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And in him, there was great appreciation, of course, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was the second, the first son, but the second child. I believe the first child was a daughter that was died at birth. And so, that was unfortunate. And then the next pregnancy came. Actually, one of the aunts, I think, on the maternal side of Sridhar Marsh had a vision and a dream of a beautiful, shaved-headed son. You know, anything can be seen in a dream, but a shaved-headed son, fulgent son, was being born. And she thought, oh, Vori Devi has not had an issue. It must mean her. And shortly thereafter, she became pregnant. And so there was some mystique about his birth due to that vision. And after he was born, still in the maternity quarters, then guards were posted outside his relatives, reading the Shastras in full shift throughout the night to protect him from any inauspicious influence. They were uh, tend to be superstitious sometimes, so ghosts, maybe a ghost in the form of a cat would come and attack. And so this way he was, his birth was surrounded by this reading of the Shastras to protect him from any inauspicious uh, occurrence. And he had, uh, I believe then, three brothers and three sisters, four of whom became his disciples. He was born in Hapaniya in West Bengal, which was uh, also called, uh, I think, uh, something Nyayanutya Vidyapit, 
It was a place of great learning. His father was learning, his grandfather was very, very learned. And so he himself, of course, took was of a learned nature and um, a good student and a devoted person in his childhood. He used to walk three miles every day to bathe in the Ganga, pick a flower and offer it to Lord Shiva. And he was given a, a mantra in his childhood in glorification of Lord Shiva, I think also along the lines of their concern for protecting him. And he learned that mantra just as a child, and he used to chant that mantra. Many years later, in the later Paramahamsa Lila of Srila Maharaj, of course, he was ill for years and years and years, and it would, it would go up and down. And at one point, his health was quite bad, and Shripad Govinda Maharaj was, I think, at the Ganga. He prayed to Lord Shiva to protect his Gurudev, and he heard some sound. He didn't know what that was, that some word just came. So he went and searched it out, and it was a name for a particular type of Ayurvedic medicine. Ayurvedic, no, homeopathic medicine. So he got the homeopath, and, and then, yes, and that was an appropriate medicine. Shiva was given that medicine, and apparently it extended his life for a number of years. So Shiva had some influence, Mahadev. The great Chetrapal, protector of the Dham, protected the great Dham Basi, Bhakti Rakshakshirdev Goswami Maharaj, throughout his life. He was uh, disappointing to his mother in some respects, because mothers like to cook for their sons and see them eat very nicely. But Sridhar Maharaj would never take seconds, because Whenever he was offered the meal on the plate, he would offer that to the Lord. And then he would take. So he had some idea that, well, now I've taken. If you fill my plate up again, I cannot now, having eaten, offer that to the Lord. So in a simple way in his heart, he made an offering. And so he had a practice that he would never take seconds. <laughs> and and also, he had a practice of only eating rice and shukta, a bitter melon, wet subji. And that is only for increasing the appetite, really. You take that and increase your appetite, that shukta. Mahaprabhu used to say, don't neglect that shukta, that bitter melon, like nectar. It'll give you more appetite to take more prasadam. <laughs> so, he only ate, for the most part, this shukta and, and, and rice and disappointed his mother in that way. And also she made him nervous. After all, there was that dream, he was shaved-headed. Shaved-headed means renunciation. And he was the eldest son. In Sridhar Maharaj, there was a healthy lack of interest in worldliness, a lack of ambition. So this was perturbing to his father because you have to have some ambition to carry on the family name. This was his disinterested nature philosophical nature. The more we have knowledge, the more we will be disinterested in interacting with material manifestations that are temporary, here today and gone tomorrow. So he had some sense from his very childhood of what is substance and what is ephemeral and he gravitated towards the substance. When his father was passing from the world, he called for his son 
and said to him, so now I have my request. And of course, everybody knows in, in Indian society what he's going to ask. He was already disturbed. His son was giving him some trouble just by his disinterested nature and so forth. So he said, now I'm leaving, so now now don't disturb me. I want to ask you one thing, that you will marry. Now, how can you deny your father's last request on his deathbed? Sridharmarsh had trouble with that one because he did, was not interested in marrying. So he said, he couldn't say no, but he couldn't say yes either. So he said, I will try my best. <laughs> he kind of came in the middle. So, of course, as circumstance had it, he did marry. But his scholarly nature, at 15 years old, he was composing in Sanskrit. So he's very learned and leaning in that direction. It's not going to be a good provider, that type of person with that type of disposition. But he did marry eventually, but it was very short-lived. And it was during his marriage, I believe, that he first came in touch with Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He was named, of course, at his birth. He was born under the same zodiac sign rising as Ramchandra. And so he was given the name Ramindra Chandra by his parents. And I believe during the time of his marriage, he met the devotees of Gaudiamath. He was given the name Ramindra Chandra and he had an attraction for Ramchandra. He liked the Ram. Leela, the dignity of the Ram Leela, the morality of the Ram Leela. Sridharmarsh had very much a moral side and very much a humanitarian side to him, as well as a scriptural and renounced side to him. He commented himself personally that in school years, there were generally two classes of schoolboys who were classmates. One sector was very inclined towards Shastra, studying the Shastra and religious practices, worship, and so forth. The other side was very inclined towards humanitarian works, like to become a doctor, help the patients. And he said for himself, he was had both sides. As I've lectured before, this indicates realization. In other words, if we are to embrace the side of transcendence, worship, scriptural study, and ultimate compassion. To to do so honestly, we will have to pass through the shadow of compassion for humanity and its plight. So he could shed a tear for humanity and its plight at the same time being involved in the transcendental mission, both sides. Some people just want to theoretically and intellectually embrace something like Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and then describe the plight of humanity as tough karma. Anyway, that's their karma. Too bad for them. No feeling. So he was not not like that. He was balanced. And he had attraction, therefore, for Ram. Ram Rad is the proper kingdom for the world, and Ram's morality and his uh, compassionate nature. And he also liked Radha. He had some attraction for Radha, who is the compassionate nature of Krishna, and who's Ram was also self-abnegating. He was such an ideal king that he even banished his dear wife Sita because someone in the kingdom complained. He put himself, his personal life, secondary to the welfare of the people and the kingdom. 
He wasn't the kind of king that sat in the throne as the supreme enjoyer. Krishna is overtly the supreme enjoyer. So he was not as attracted to Krishna because he was not attracted to the overt enjoying and putting oneself in the center. <laughs> but in connection with Krishna Leela, there's Radha and she has a self-abnegation. Putting herself... Uh, she does complain about Krishna sometimes, but, but overall her disposition is putting all emphasis on Krishna. And she's said to be the compassionate nature of Krishna. So he had some attraction for Radha. So these four... For general reasons, I mean, he was quite young, and he hadn't been schooled in Gaudi Vaishnavism or systematically schooled under the tutelage of a proper guru in the spiritual topics of the scripture. So in a general way, therefore, he had attraction for Ram and attraction for Radha, but it indicated his own self-abnegation and his concern for others over himself, which they represent more overtly than Krishna, everything for me, supreme <laughs> enjoyer. But he came in touch with Godiamat in his married days. There was one gentleman who very much wanted to have him as a disciple. He had some kind of a samaj, some type of association, and he liked Sridhar Marsh, and he canvassed Sridhar Marsh to become his disciple. And Sridhar Marsh told him at that time that he had some attraction for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by this time. He had read it in the Charitamrita. So Mahaprabhu is, of course, Krishna, but all that doesn't come out without careful study under the Guru. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Parupakar, welfare work for others, and so forth. His position as a devotee and as a renunciate, this was attractive to Sridhar Maharaj. So on that basis, he told this gentleman, I said, I'm, I think I am sold to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I'm sure of it. So I, I cannot join you. And that gentleman replied, Yes, of course. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Prem of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that is the highest thing. But first, he said, we should follow the path of Buddha, of renunciation. And then, when we're complete in that, we should cultivate the Jnana of Shankar. And having passed through that, eventually in the state, we come to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Chaitanya said, Well, that's very interesting. But... Um, my reply to you is that, although it's very interesting and creative, it's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught. <laughs> he did not teach we should first go to Buddha and learn everything in the Buddhist. Then we go to become Shankarites. And the man had no reply. So then Chidamar said to him, can you suggest a proper guru for me? Because obviously he was no longer even a candidate in his own mind. So he suggested one fellow, actually. And Sridhar went looking for that fellow. Couldn't find him. But in the course of looking, he came across a red placard, a sign announcing a, a festival of Gaudiamat. And he thought, this is Gaudiamat. This must be about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, uh, in the course of looking for his guru, at the recommendation of that one fellow, he found his guru, the founder of Gaudiamat, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahat, and all of its branches, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So he used to go, he went to Bhag Bazaar in Calcutta, he used to visit the Mat, and of course he had a wife and he was eldest son, his father had passed away, I think his mother was still living, and he was attracted principally by the preaching of Gaudiya Math in that there extreme emphasis on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and on Shastra, 
And if it wasn't according to, according to the Shastra, they had nothing, they had no interest in that. <laughs> they rejected it. And so he liked that. He liked that kind of uh, commitment and uh, way of dismissing many of the religious ideas that were out and about that were more or less mentally conceived. There was a fair amount of religious reformation going on at the time in Bengal. The British were still involved, and so there was this interface with the modern times, the Western world, and so there were many organizations cropping up here and there that were kind of watering down Hinduism and westernizing it, and even uh, movements that turned Krishna into more of a Christ figure by denying his Brajalila, but embracing his Kurukshetra, Bhagavad Gita Lila, these kind of things. So he appreciated Godimath's take on all of this and their strict emphasis on on Shastra. And he, of course, he met Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and he liked to go and see him. One occasion, he went to go and see him, and he was checked. And the person at the devotee said, "You cannot cross this threshold here. You must sit and wait. And if Guru Maharaj calls, then you can come." So he was a little put off by that. He said, "Why should I come here? They're treating me like this." And, and then, but then he said he thought about it and he gave some example of Sukadeva Goswami had been called to see a king and it, uh, he had to wait in line. So, so he thought, yes, if he's a great person, it makes sense. And so he reasoned about it in that way. And on one occasion he was sitting up on the veranda, it must have been in Calcutta there, and Bhaktisvanta Sashtitaka was out on the veranda strolling and he was with an attendant and assistant. And so he he asked, so does he have a question? And so that servant said, Guru Maharaj wants to know, do you have a question? He said, no, I have no question. So then the servant said, no, he has no question. And uh, and he said, Sarasri Thakur pressed further and said, well, does he, does he want to know something about anything? <laughs> something like, no, he doesn't want to know anything about anything. He's, he's, and so then he's pressed further. He said, "Well, is there anything that he is there anything that he wants?" So he said, "Is there anything that you want?" Gurmash wants to know. And then Chidamar says, "Yes, I, I want to I want to be in your the company of these devotees of the of Gurmash's devotees." And he said he thought that uh, he, he thought Bhaktisiddhanta reacted in such a way that Chidamar thought that touched his heart. I was able to touch Gurmash's heart by that heartfelt response. And um, due to his apparent uh, material situation, then there were some difficulties in him actually joining, but uh, he was very attracted to the idea of joining the Dhamath, the monastery. And of course, that was his nature. And a thought came to him. His mother passed away, I think, at the Kumbha Mela. And so his material responsibilities were diminishing, but he was married, and a thought came in his mind. He said, I don't know how it came, but a thought came in my mind. If my wife died, I would be free to join. And he came home and his wife had, was deathly ill and in three days she passed from the world. So he thought that the opening is there. His path has been cleared. And uh, still he hesitated a little bit, but the devotees preached to him very strongly. The Krishna had made this arrangement. Now this is your, your opportunity. And I think that then there was a festival conducted by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur in, in uh, Mayapur, Sridham Mayapur. And he attended that, and so many people had come, and the moth had provided prasadam and prachar preaching and the dramas and, and so much about Krishna Lila and Gaur Lila. 
And at the end, Bhakti Siddhartha voiced a request to all of them that uh, one thing I ask you, don't go home. I've invited you here. You've got to understand what I've invited you to participate in. And he said, and if you say to me, well, yes, I appreciate it. I'd like to stay, but I have something pressing at home, so let me do that first. I say to you, Bhakti Siddhartha Thakur said, even if your house is on fire, don't go home. This is how important this mission is. You should stay here with me in this mission. So he heard that, that kind of urgency of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur, and he joined the mission, leaving whatever family business there was with his two uh, younger brothers. Maybe he had three younger brothers, but two in particular. And this way he uh, he joined the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur. And when he joined the mission, was told, ah, that boy has joined. And Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur said, very good, yadarachirati shrestas tattadevetarodhana sayat pramanam glute lokastadhanavartate. He quoted a verse from Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, Yadyadatrati Shrestas Tattadevitarodana. Whatever a great man does, other people will follow in his footsteps. <laughs> so he considered the Siddharmarsh was of some great stature, and that others would follow in his footsteps. And it's our strong recommendation to the world and the devotee community that they follow in the footsteps of Om Vishnupad Bhakti Rakshak Shiradeva Goswami Maharaj. Take inspiration from his life of devotion and spiritual insight from childhood to the, his days of joining the mission where he joined as a brahmachari and was, was given the name, his name was Ramendra Chandra at birth, so Prabhupada named him Ramendra Sundara. And he asked, what is the meaning of Ramendra? And Prabhupada said, it is not Raghupati Ram, Ram Chandra, but Ramendra is Radharaman Krishna. You should think like this, he told him. He named him Ramendra Sundar, and he gave him also the task, before he had taken sannyasa, I believe, to be involved in the preaching mission, to find out the place on the Godavari where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had his talks with Raya Ramananda. Because Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur had started a inaugurated the service of going everywhere in South India. We've been reading Mahaprabhu's travels in South India in Chaitanya Charitamrita nightly. We're coming to the close of that ninth chapter of Mandilila. Uh, but he, wherever he went, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitaka wanted a program of establishing the pada, the feet, footprints of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a shrine. Mahaprabhu stood here, he came here. So Siddharmash was asked to find a place on Godavari where Rai Ramananda and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had their famous conversation. So he was involved in that. He gave a lecture there that Bon Maharaj was startled by. And by a recommendation of Bon Maharaj and others, leading sannyasis, Siddhar Maharaj was given sannyas by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur. He was asked to serve in the publishing area, but he was not so fond of that. He was more fond of preaching, speaking, not collecting. Some sannyasis were collectors. Some worked on the press, and some spoke. His nature was to speak about Krishna. And that, the other sannyasis thought, should be that should be uh, showcased. He gave a very fine lecture for an intelligent class of people. He will attract a certain class of people, his kind of speaking. So this should be showcased. 
So that came to pass, and he traveled widely. He was he served at the Kurukshetra Math, he served at the Delhi Math, and in Bombay, and in Rajamudri, and the place of uh, Janagar, place of Ramananda Roy. That Kodiyamat temple was established there in his tenure in that area. And uh, in Madras, he founded the Madras Kodiyamat with others uh, as well. He was given the sannyas name Bhakti Rakshat Shidar Maharaj. It means the protector. Rakshak means protector. Rakak. Not Rakshaka. Rakshasha. But Rakak. Uh, protector. Uh, so, protector of bhakti, bhakti rakak, and Sridhar Maharaj, and Sridhar means, of course, who bears the greatest wealth, or Sri means Radha, and Dhara means to carry, so who carries the greatest wealth means must be carrying the conception of Radha Dasim in his heart. And Sridhar also was the name of the great protector of bhakti in ancient times, Sridhar Swami of the Vishnu Swami Sampradaya, who wrote a commentary on Bhagavatam, such that he could attract the Mayavadis. It was a, his commentary on Bhagavatam and his position in relation to devotion it was very much appreciated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the, the name Sridhar also has some connection with protecting bhakti, establishing bhakti, bhakti Raksak Sridhar Maharaj. And in the time of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, when he was present, conducting the mission, he, as I say, he traveled widely and preached. But after the departure of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur from the world, he was more inclined to, to begin what he called his heart seva, to do his heart seva, do his bhajan, from preaching widely to retire and do some heart seva, bhajan. And, of course, circumstances also, in combination with his nature and his disposition, really pushed him in that direction, because with the departure of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, the mission as a whole did not hold together very well. It split in different directions. And a charge was named and amongst the governing body, and then there were some problems, and there was opposition, and and so forth. So he backed off that much more. He kept himself out of the limelight. He was didn't think that he should be in charge of the mission at all. And he, with the difficulties and court cases that ensued and so forth, he went to Vrindavan and ultimately he sought to take up domicile in Navadvip Dham. He went to Ek Chakra, which is in the Gauda Mandala. He prayed to Nityananda Prabhu, give me your permission and your blessings that I may reside in Navadweep Dham. And he got an impression in his heart that Nityananda spoke to him that you want my Kripa, but you don't give your Kripa to anybody. Because he was so much not wanting to be in the limelight. People were coming to him asking for initiation, but he was saying, no, I'm not giving initiation, not unqualified. And so he thought, well, this is Nityananda's proposal. I want his mercy, but I don't give mercy. So he reasoned that I will take, I've got permission if I give mercy. So I will take up my residence in Nambadweep, and if anybody comes who's qualified, I won't refuse them. But I won't go everywhere, shaking the doors, knocking on doors, canvassing to collect people. 
So he took a modified type of position and was accepted by Nityananda. He got his place of residence. He had nothing. So some of his god-brothers, I think Sakicharan Prabhu was a famous householder disciple of Bhaktisthan Sarasri Thakur, bought the land in Koladweep, Gupta Govardhan. This is the Govardhan of in this uh, Nadia, Navadweep is same as Vrindavan. So this uh, is the hidden Govardhan in Koladweep. He had Govardhan Shila, Shila Marj, and he said, on this rock my moth is founded. This is the foundation. <laughs> so he had to go over to Anshila and he got the place there, the land. And some God brothers came also. They wanted to participate with him, but they wanted to control. And he was so much, as I say, his disposition was so much to be out of the limelight that they wanted to take advantage of that and post themselves in a prominent position such that when he departed, they would become the leaders, or one one gentleman would become the acharya of the mission. Chittamaraj was not interested in being controlled in any way, so he had a policy for his mouth that he was complete autocrat. Unlike, for example, Keshavmaraj's mission, Keshavmaraj's mission has a GBC, and the GBC governing body has some position, even in relation to the acharya, checking the acharya. The Acharya has to follow certain guidelines. He's not a total autocrat, totally independent. So he went in that direction with his organization. The Chittamarsh is different. The Acharya is completely independent. There's no one can check him on anything, on any grounds. He can do whatever he wants, like it, or don't get involved, basically. <laughs> and not in the, for a long time, not too many people got <laughs> involved. But not that he was uh, a dictator and so forth, but... He held it in his mouth. This would be the position. So others didn't like that. There was some struggle in the beginning of those who had came to so-called help him but had motives. And it was Keshav Marsh who actually came to his assistance and said, uh, Keshav Marsh was a little bit of a heavy fellow. And uh, he said uh, that one gentleman complained to him about this and seeking support from him. Shidamarsh wanted to conduct himself in his own way and choose his own successor and and in fact, had given deference to just a young boy. And here this godbrother was a elderly, and he thought he should be giving more consideration. But uh, Keshavmar said something like, you know, one thing about Shidamar, she says that you should know that on his behalf, I'd kill somebody if I had to, you know, to fulfill his ambitions. Just letting you know. <laughs> That's the kind of way he, he responded. <laughs> He was a little bit like that, a little bit heavy. So, anyway, that was dealt with, and Shudermarsh was left alone, and he was left quite alone. Mm-hmm. He had formed his mouth in, I believe, 1941, and he had a little thatched hut, only that he stayed in. And he kept very much to himself. Godbrothers would come at times and see him on special occasions. The day of his birth, Godbrothers would come and show regard for him. And gradually some persons came, naturally, and he didn't turn them away. If they were sincere, in this way his mission grew, and he had some disciples, and they were living for a long time in considerable poverty. Sometimes they did not have enough rice to go around. And there's rice everywhere in Bengal, so that's hard to believe, but uh, they, they didn't have uh, enough to eat, it means. And 
Chita Maharaj wasn't making a great effort to see that they were uh, great accommodations and whatnot. He was just being, he is what he is, is more or less what he said. I am what I am. And <laughs> and what he was is, is great, of course, and it all came out in time. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, we're coming out of this part of this Leela again, that uh, in the end, so many of the Western disciples of Shilesi Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada came to him and brought him out and brought the whole Western world to his doorstep. And so much funding came to his mob and building their guest houses and accommodations and so forth. And it was all organized by uh, Sripad Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj, who became naturally this, he was the chosen successor in carrying on the mission of Bhakti Raksakshita Dev Goswami Maharaj today. So, there's much to learn from the teachings of Sridhar Maharaj, from the life of Sridhar Maharaj. And myself, here in this small mission, I'm very, very, very much influenced by Sridhar Maharaj and, of course, by Prabhupada. This combined mercy of these two is what I'm made of. Anything good you find in me is a result of their association. Prabhupada uh, had a very dramatic influence on my life, very, very dramatic influence on my life, such that I could never imagine someone else having as much of a dramatic influence, but it happened in the form of Srila Sridhar Maharaj, and uh, I'm doubly blessed as a result of that. I was fortunate to have some personal association with Prabhupada, correspondence with him, discussions with him, and um, work, in a sense, directly under him in my days as a, of uh, distributing his books, rather than with any particular temple or any particular GBC or zone. <laughs> and uh, when they complained, Prabhupada said, he doesn't need a GBC. He's selling my books. Just leave him alone. <laughs> so I was fortunate in that regard, and I was fortunate to have the association of Sridhar Maharaj, who paid me a great compliment once. He said, and while I was sitting there with others, he said, Tripurai Maharaj, now he is a bona fide student. And Hari Charan was a prominent disciple of, Brahmachari disciple of Siddha Maharaj looked at me with big eyes and said, that is a big compliment, huge compliment from Siddha Maharaj. He was very, um, he wasn't a flatterer. He wasn't at all a flatterer. So if he said something, it had, it, he meant it. So I felt blessed. I mean, I asked him what service I could do. He said, you know everything. Swami Maharaj has already told you everything. Go and do something. Preach. And come here sometimes. I will be in the background. My moth is here. Radha Govinda Sundar. And uh, sometimes you can help something. The tapes have been made. Of my thoughts. Some books are there. And uh, is, he said, you should start a mission and preach. So we did. And this is a good part of our preaching to try to shed light on the significance of Srila Siddhar Maharaj's Shiksha in his life, it's uh, very, very important, especially today. The devotees come in touch with his kind of balanced outlook about things. So you see some balance in me, those of you who know me and who, who hear from me and read what I write. This balance comes from, from his influence, primarily. And it's come to be a leading characteristic of myself. So as I say, I've been very, very strongly influenced by Sridhar Maharaj. I've been influenced by Prabhupada also very strongly in a particular way for preaching, for canvassing, 
and for conviction in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. But uh, some balance by Srila Maharaj's influence has uh, come into my life, and I pass that on to you. And on the day, days like this, we are very fortunate to be able to sit and discuss something about Srila Maharaj's life. So please, all of you, uh, take it to heart and think that those of you that are connected with me, that you are connected to Prabhupada and to Srila Maharaj, the mantras that I am giving and passing, I have heard from them. I heard from Prabhupada all the mantras, and I heard all the mantras from Sridhar Maharaj also, and more other mantras I heard also in my ear from Sridhar Maharaj that uh, I did not hear from Prabhupada, and with his wonderful explanations on his veranda. And so their combined insights, influence, and realization, I'm passing that on to you, and how it's affected me, and cause realization in me. So those of you who are connected with me in that way, formally, should understand what is the substance of that connection by examining the lives of these two great devotees, their particular characteristics, their particular contributions, try to trace out their affinities in Krishna consciousness, and know that my company in this way is all about that. And... I think it's a very good thing, those influences. Mm-hmm. We're a particular species, a particular breed. There are disciples of Prabhupada, and they should, if they don't, have some appreciation for Sridhar Maharaj. There are disciples of Sridhar Maharaj that should have appreciation for Prabhupada. And then there are people like us who are disciples of Prabhupada and disciples of Sridhar Maharaj, uh, fully influenced by both. We're a special kind of package. <laughs> and, for example, in Chaitanya Saraswat Math and all of its branches, the pictures of the Guru Parampara, they don't include Prabhupada's picture. It's Sridhar Maharaj's mission. In Iskon, Sridhar Maharaj's picture is not included. It's Prabhupada's mission. Sridhar Maharaj about that once said, when someone tried to put his picture on the altar of an Iskon temple, he said, oh no, I will be seen as an intruder in Swami Maharaj's mission. You cannot do that. So in a subtle way, of course, this influence is there, should be there, and it is there. Even people don't recognize where it's from. This is, again, the influence of Sridhar Maharaj as the Adi Siksha Guru is such that many, many things, concepts that he taught that came from him, insights, realizations from him, have filtered out over time everywhere. And people speak them in classes and repeat them, and they don't even know where they came from. Probably the most prominent example is the idea of Prabhupada being a Shaktivesh avatar, now, Yajavar mentioned that he certainly got it from Sridhar Maharaj. Yajavar was a great friend of Sridhar Maharaj, and Sridhar Maharaj further elaborated upon the concept at some length. Now it's just common. Prabhupada was a Shaktivesha avatar. Who cares for Sridhar Maharaj? <laughs> Type of, you find extremes like that. But the idea, the concept, the, the insight, the realization came from Sridhar Maharaj. So his influence is everywhere. And Prabhupada's influence is fairly pervasive also in the lives, obviously, of those devotees who are directly the disciples of, of Sridhar Maharaj. They came to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, they came to Sridhar Maharaj through Prabhupada. But the influence is informal. Here, informally, we have Prabhupada's picture on the altar and Sridhar Maharaj's picture on the altar. These are our combined gurus, my gurus, your param gurus. So, 
those who are trying to figure out what I'm about, I suggest look over just above my head and see who's looking down and blessing me and giving me backing for that which we're conducting here in the form of a mission. And then you think that in spite of my faults, there's a very good connection here with, with very great souls, so we should try to take advantage. Om Vishnupad, Jila Bhakti Rakshak, Siddhadev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhakti Rakshak, Siddhadev Goswami Maharaj, Avibhav Mahamotsavatiti Ki Jai. Bhakti Rakshak, Siddhadev Goswami Maharaj, Vyasa Puja Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi. Hari Hari.